Hello and welcome to this ill-fated uh, edition of the Silmarillion <laughs> Film Podcast. <clears throat> after after many trials and tribulations, yes. I'm your co-host Dave Kale, finally here. Uh, and amazingly, I am also joined by Creoles and the Tolkien Professor <laughs> and Trish Lambert, the Tolkien Maven. But I think, you know, basically by an act of manway at this point. <laughs> we yes. have got layers. I mean, we've got like layers of technology. Yeah. You yeah. Uh, I'm using the backup systems of backup systems right now to route everything through. And we're just <laughs> going to hope it's going to hold out. So a, a wing <clears throat> and a prayer. Off we go. Yeah. Sorry. Apologize. Having all kinds of issues. Um, but uh, but there we are. So, okay. But we are undeterred. We are undeterred. We are undeterred and off we go. Uh, so, speaking of being undeterred, <laughs> uh, so one announcement today that I have to make, but it's a big announcement. And uh, some of you might have heard me make it earlier this week, um, but it's still kind of a big deal. And that is our new program, Signum University, is preparing to launch a brand new program called Signum Path. And I even have our uh, homepage for that somewhere or other around here. Um, there it is. No, that's not it. <laughs> somewhere or other. Hang on. It's behind something or something like that. Um, but uh, here it is. Oh, wait. I know where. I know. I know my problem. Hang on. I got I to gotta do this other thing. Zoop and... Okay, here it is. So, Signum Path. Um, our, our Signum Path program is a new program that Signum is, is develop, has developed in which we're beginning here very soon. Uh, and the, the, the purpose, the goal of the Signum Path program is to – it's a professional development program. Uh, for folks who need help with what we call your foundational skills, the kinds of skills that are really useful everywhere, like better communication, better verbal communication, better writing skills, better interpersonal skills, the kinds of things that will help you in literally any career that you are a part of, but which there are really kind of surprisingly few professional development resources for. Um, and of course, which... Uh, I'd mostly get taught in the classes that you were probably discouraged from taking too many of when you were in school. So, uh, because they're useless, you know, uh, anyway, uh, so, uh, this is the path program. Um, we just, as I say, we're, 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 we're just announcing this this week. I'm really excited about it. Um, we're going to be, we've just posted pages on, uh, LinkedIn and Facebook. Um, so I encourage you go to like go. The page. Go, go like, like the, the pages. Yeah, go like the pages, exactly. Yeah, and, and comment. Uh, and yeah, share um, with your friends. I'm going to be starting. If you want to hear sort of a – I'm not going to take up more time here talking about it in too much detail. Um, but uh, if you would like to kind of understand a little bit better the rationale and sort of the thinking that has led me to this program, um, I just published my first article in a series that I'm doing there on LinkedIn um, – uh, yesterday, and uh, I'll be posting the next one uh, soon, and uh, so you can you can check that out and sort of follow along as I kind of explain what my thinking has been on the humanities and business and uh, how we can do the humanities better and uh, and all these kinds of things. So. Um, more on that as we're coming along. So you can check out that article. You can uh, go to and, and like our pages and uh, we're going to have more information for you soon. We hope to be able to announce our official course schedule and course registration very soon. So that it's is really exciting because it's a really happening. new thing. I mean, it's yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it's 
it's it's Signum going into the workplace, basically. So yes. it's really cool. Yep. Yeah, breaking some pretty new ground here. So yep. uh, that is, uh, so yeah, so that is our big announcement. That's the thing that's happening right now. And then I hope that you will check out. And if you know anybody who might be, you know, looking to improve their resume, uh, you know, to kind of put themselves in a better position for promotions and things like that, this is a good opportunity to uh, to really kind of Im- improve your profile uh, at work. So uh, please do pass the news on about that. Okay, so back to season five. Um, so we wanted th- we want to think today primarily about the shape and structure of season five. Uh, we've done some thinking about this. It's time to kind of uh, think in in a little bit more detail. First question we wanted to start with was as far as thinking about the shape of the season is what is our mid season turning point going to be. Um, uh, as uh, our slide will tell you here, uh, we've done this for all of our previous episodes. We have the destruction of the lamps in season one. We have the trial of Melkor in season eight, which of course brought in then the unrest of the Noldor leading down to the darkening of Valinor ultimately at the end of season two. We had the burning of the ships in season three, right, which was really the point of no return uh, for Feanor and, um, you know, where we divided the. Uh, the first, you know, sort of the rising action with the falling action kind of there. Um, and then in season four, we had uh, the Dagor Aglareb uh, as the, 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 the real um, kind of central point there uh, in season four. So in season five, um, what's the mid-season episode going to focus on? Here's my primary thing is that I think that the the closest parallel, it seems to me, for the structure of season five is season two. And I primarily say that because it feels to me like this season should be divided in two halves in chronologically, in ways that we haven't done. Like, the, although, you know, the burning of the ships and the destruction of the lamps were climactic points, which really were a hinge point for at least one of the major characters, and certainly you know, an indicator of sort of a, you know, a new act of the action there. Um, in in season two, the major gap that we had really was between when the elves were traveling across Middle-earth and when the elves were in Valinor, right? So we had like the Balerian half and the Valinorian half of the season, uh, and we really used the trial as the as the kind of segue, right, to sort of show, you know, time has passed and we're now resuming. We're coming back to our characters after they've been in Valinor for a while and now watching the action um, as the um, uh, the the unrest of the Noldor begins. Um, this season feels similar to me because we're going to have thinking about if we think about this through the. Um, through the lens of the relationship between the men and the elves, right? Um, we have the first half of the season, which is going to be establishing men in Beleriand, right? What kind of roles do they play? Where do they take up? How are they related to the elves? So we're going to be setting things up, right? Setting up the, the relationship between Beor and Finrod. Setting up, um, uh, you know, the people of Hador in the north. Uh, setting up Haleth uh, and the Haladin, right? So... Uh, we need to set up those things, and then we have to have sort of 
uh, I don't know what, like the, the, the ultimate deployment of those things uh, leading up to the Dagor Bragalog. So by the time of the Dagor Bragalog, of course, we need, you know, the people of Beor in place there in Dorthonian so that, you know, Barahir and Baron can be left over there afterwards. Uh, we need the people of Hador set up in Dorloman so that they can be participating in the battle and be part of that whole thing. Um, uh, but I think there's going to be sort of a gap in between. So if we break, if so, in, again, it's it's not so enormous a break as season two, right? Where we again, where we had the whole Middle Earth journey, and then we had, and meanwhile, or not meanwhile, but subsequently in Valinor, right? Um, it really felt like sort of a different chapter, which we included, and you know, it was connected to the first half of the season, but. You know, the first the, those two halves of the season were were sort of fairly disconnected. This feels to me like a kind of minor league version of that, um, and um, so yeah, I, I, I that's what I. So rather than a particular event, we may want to choose an event um, to use as a kind of springboard into the second half of the season in a similar kind of way to what we did with the trial of Melkor uh, in season two, um, but. But actually, I, I, I'm not even sure that I feel like that itself is quite so necessary because we're not going to have a sort of massive um, uh, period of time passing like we did. Uh, and, you know, where we were basically sort of inviting uh, people to imagine like, so uh, many like millennia of bliss <laughs> have happened, right? They got to Valinor and everybody's been happy for a really, really, really long time, right? And now things are, you know, tension is going to start building again after the trial of Melkor. Um, so again, it doesn't feel quite exactly as necessary in the same way. Um, now, Stephen, I'm not forgetting about Aravel's storyline, but I don't think that Aravel makes a good pivot point. Uh, and here's the primary reason why it's not, First of all, uh, the number one reason why I feel like Aravel does not make a good pivot point for the entire season is that it's too isolated. It's, it's important, but it's too isolated. Um, I mean, literally isolated. It takes place in Gondolin and is therefore isolated by definition. But it has nothing to do with the men. It has nothing to do even really with the deliberations of what the rest of the elves are talking about and going through because it's separated from that. I mean, Aravel never interacts with anyone other than the people in Gondolin and then Aeol and Maeglin, right? She never makes it to the Sons of Feanor. Um, so I don't really see it as um, as something that serves as a sensible kind of pivot point uh, for the whole season because... Um, and also the other thing about it is that I don't see how it fits into the theme. You know, the theme, uh, the theme of change that we were talking about. Well, you know, the death of Aravel, it's that doesn't bring in change exactly, right? I mean, you could say that the arrival of Maeglin in Gondolin, you know, the incorporation of Maeglin into Gondolin is sort of a harbinger of very bad change to come, but not in this season, right? So, you know... Again, I have um, I have sort of a hard time with that. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, again, Rihanna and I can see in some ways Aravel's death is a turning point. But again, for everybody, like for whom is it a turning point? Um, I mean, maybe for the viewers, uh, we could probably contrive that. But again, it I 
the story of Arathel and Aeol seems to me fundamentally isolated from the rest of the story. We can establish parallels. We can make it work. But, um, but I just really don't see it as like something that the whole season really kind of hinges on in that way. I'm really interested in the idea of having the Athrobeth be the midpoint, but I'm not sure how that conversation. Yes. I mean, you know, I'm kind of like it's going to be a waiting for Godot kind of conversation. If you know, I mean, it's not action packed. Yeah, not action. And I'm not sure how that makes it. You know, there's not a turn. I mean, how, as you say, we can make it happen, I suppose. But I'm yeah. just. Yeah, I mean, it's I. It, okay, so I mean. I'm not saying, you know, some people are, are reacting as if I'm saying the death of Arthel isn't a big deal. Of course it's a big deal. Um, and, uh, Marie, you're right. It does introduce a pretty big change for Arthel personally. But um, although Rihanna... It doesn't can, have the far-reaching... Yeah, exactly. I mean, you can not. say things like things are going to go downhill for the elves after her death. Sure, but not because of it, right? I mean, not... not it's, it's, it's not actually... Like the trial of Melkor was a big deal for the elves, yeah. right? We were, I mean, it, that sets the stage for everything that happens in the whole second so half of that season. So is the ship burning. In a way. So is the ship burning, right? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, well, and the thing about Arathos, this is the, this is the season that men show up. So, I mean, yeah. it's not an elf centric story anymore. And I, I suppose that's another reason why maybe the Athrobeth or, or something that involves men and elves to me would make a better midpoint of this season. Yeah. I'm not sure what it would be. And what I like about your suggestion, I, I'm not sure how practical it is, because, of course, as you're pointing out, like, I mean, it would seem deeply ironic to say that the I mean, so far, every turning point that we've had has been a pretty exciting one. I mean, it's not that it has to be, by definition, an action sequence, uh, you know, but. Right, right. But Well, it's, it's kind of the eve before Finrod goes off to battle, right? Right. I mean, it's like a definitive moment. So. Um, to have the, to, so yeah, to, to have it just be like that time when Finrod has this conversation that really changes his mind about stuff works for me thematically, but do I, mm-hmm. dramatically speak, thematically it works. Dramatically, it's pretty tame, right? You know, I mean, like, <laughs> it's not really must see right? TV, is it? <laughs> no, no. Finrod <laughs> having tea with Andreth, in which she's kind of upset and he sort of learns something, is not like, yeah. I know. That's I not. Know. I mean, it is, thing. you know, it is useful in the sense of this conversation really sets the core of the abstract of humans versus elves for the rest of the you know rest of the series you know what i mean but it's so philosophical and yes. it's not you yeah know, no he, I, he, he could be inter- he could be interrupted every few minutes by like you know an urgent messenger or right. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. that's exactly what we want to we want to take this thing which we believe is the thematic core of the season and just make it more exciting by continually distracting from it <laughs> yeah yeah. Yeah, that is kind yeah. of. But I mean, that's the thing. It's like, I don't know. I mean, my feeling about it is, it just feels like we should have some man element to the midpoint. But I, yes. I just don't know what that yeah, would be. That, I, definitely, I definitely think that too. Um, it has to be. I mean, I feel like if it's not something that. Again, think about some of those other turning points. Um, one of the things that our turning points have tended to have in common is that there was something of a, like, 
they had a something of a crossing of the Rubicon kind of element to them, right? Um, right. Once yep. the lamps are destroyed and Melkor the is no basically out of the thing. closet, yeah. right? Like now, yeah. conf- it is the conflict is inevitable. So like the the the, the war to begin all wars that is going to happen in in episode thirteen of season one is inevitable from that turning point on, right? It's just a question of when right. we're going to get there and how we're going to get there. Um, Melkor's release, right, uh, out mm-hmm. into the wild among the Noldor, it's inevitable that he's going to cause trouble. The question is just how is that going to happen? And, of course, that trouble culminates in episode 13 with the darkening of Valinor, the ship burning, right? The ship burning again is another Rubicon crossed, right, mm-hmm. with the the, 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 the destructive, you know, the, this, you know, sort of, manifestation of the destructiveness of the Feanorian Oath and all of the problems that it is causing and is, you know, has already caused, it's the culmination of the kinslaying and it's the, uh, you know, and, and it, it sort of sets the stage for the things that are coming, are going to come afterwards. Um, in season four with the Dagor Aglareb and also with, as you know, people are pointing out, the um, the kinslaying reveal happening at about that time, too, that, you know, the, the Dagor Aglareb is interesting because the Dagor Aglareb is sort of the first example that we've had of a positive event, right? Our first three were all disasters at the turning point. Right. Um, either of, like, high-action disasters, like the ship burning and the destruction of the lamps, or still a disastrous event, the the release of Melkor. Um, uh, whereas in season four, the Dagor Aglareb was this sort of, when it, just when it looked like everything was getting horrible, right? When the elves were being divided and now Thingol knows about the kinslaying and has passed the ban and the Feanorians are objecting to that and it looks like everything is flying apart and now Morgoth attacks. But instead of disaster, we have like disaster apparently averted, right? When we get the triumphant victory of the, uh, of the, of the battle and we get everybody coming together. And that, of course, sets the stage for all of the reconciliations and acts of forgiveness and things that happened in episode 13. So once again, I think we were able to kind of maintain that shape overall. Um, I, I think if we can't do that, if we can't decide on a midpoint, uh, you know, a turning point, which really sets up the end in, you know, in, in, in ways sort of like we've seen before, um, then I think we should sort of skip it, you know? Um, uh, but, um, anyway, yeah, I, 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 Maybe I am. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Maybe I mean maybe I'm saying we don't have a have a have a midpoint. Hey, which means maybe we do put the Athrobeth there essentially <laughs> and have a sort of gentle midpoint. You know, have yeah. the instead of having a, a a climactic shift. You know, in the middle. Uh, you know, a, a dramatic shift in the action. Right. Maybe we have this sort of gentle change, right? Change of mind, change of perspective. Um, and Finrod was the one that we had been saying last time might perhaps be at the center of that. Um, uh, yeah. Well, yeah. And I, I, I wonder yeah. if somehow, I mean, if somehow if we do that, because I'm thinking about the Dagor Bragalak and what happens with Finrod there, there might be something we do in the conversation with, with Andreth that is a foreshadow or, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? We could be, we could be creative with it. I mean, I, I don't want to take, you know, the Athrobeth is the Athrobeth, but of course, but so I'm thinking 
because that's kind of what you're talking about, you know, with the other midpoints. Of course, they're much more dramatic than what we're talking about here. But it's kind of like what comes after follows from the midpoint, right? I mean, mm-hmm. there's consequences. What The events of the midpoint, the rest of the season, there are consequences. You know, like you could t- go back and say, okay, that's the point where this kind of is the root cause of, you know, I'm not saying it very well. But anyway, so... I'm wondering if somehow in in this conversation with her, there is maybe something, because he goes, doesn't he uh, bear her, right? Saves his life? And, yes. Uh, yeah. And we were definitely... And he, swore, and he swears an oath to him, doesn't he? Or, uh, yes. Uh, yes. Finrod yeah. swears his oath. Um, yeah. And we were kind of thinking about that as, uh, when we were thinking about Finrod as kind of in some ways, the, 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 the center, perhaps, of season five, or at least the center of the, mm-hmm. this whole change mm-hmm. theme that we were developing. Right. We were thinking of working in his oath to Bari here as um, sort of the, the climax of that right. thread right. with him. Um, that it starts with, with his discovery of Beor, right, and his invitation of Beor to come right. join, him, join him in that, you know, sort of... Um, theoretical, you know, like the, the, the way that we had talked about the, the initial invitation of Beor and his people back, like he was in, like he's the Valar inviting the elves back to Valinor. Right? That's right. He's that's right. Inviting yeah. them and to come Andreth to the land. From, of, Andreth is from the house of Beor, right? Yes. Yes, exactly. So we have the, we have the, the Valinorian impulse, uh, exactly in right. Finrod at the beginning. Um, and then Finrod himself changes, and what he does is embrace change. In this way, you know, Chris Graham was suggesting one of the other really logical moments for a turning point at the middle would be the death of Beor. Um, mm. So, like, the funeral of Beor would be a really interesting kind of turning point. Um, yeah. And especially if we made the Athrobeth kind of ancillary, not ancillary to that as if it were totally secondary, but as a sort of a consequence of that, like, basically... Finrod contemplating the mortality of men, right, and what this means and and everything, mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. certainly could be inspired by but the For God's funeral. sake, can we not have a look on his face like Legolas had <laughs> Yes. Please. Yes. No, not exactly. How many, I don't, I know we don't have to adhere to this, but in the book, how many generations are between Beor and Andres? Do we know that? Uh, a, a few, but I'm, I'm wanting to, I mean, I still think that Andreth should be yeah. the bridge between the two mm-hmm. halves. I, I don't, I don't, I don't think the two halves need to be separated by that much time right. necessarily. Right. right. Um, so we can compress that bit in terms of her relationship to Beor, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, exactly. Um, and I know that Andreth is is old when the Athrobeth happens, but she needn't be. Like that is, we 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 don't have to have that later. We can we can we can shift things there if we need to. Um, um, no, Rihanna, and I'm not saying we have to compress. I'm saying I want to compress. I'm saying I think that our story will be better if we compress. Is what I'm saying. Um, because we don't want that many characters. Um, we want, we need to make sure that we are, in, if we just start our show as a catalog, right? Yes, we can show minor characters. Yes, we can have people die off, you know, born and die off stage or whatever. Um, but, um, uh, yeah, 
Yeah. Um, yeah. Could the, let's see, could, I don't, I don't know the time, you know, my timeline. I don't know the timeline. I was going to say, could the ant, could the Atherbeth be a conversation that takes place, not because of Bayer's funeral, but, but in conjunction with Bayer's funeral, you know, so there's the funeral and then Andreth and Finrod, because they're at the funeral and naturally they converse periodically anyway, they have a conversation. I mean, it just the mortality of men. Yeah having just had this funeral of Beor seems like it would be a, you know, psychological moment for some you know, yes. that topic to come up, you know what I'm yes. saying? Yeah, exactly. And as Chris is pointing out, we, it would also emphasize the changes in middle earth since the sun rose, which is one of the major purposes of the theme, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Um, as Chris suggests, the elves really start to feel the passages, passage of time with the death of Beor. Like it's not only they're coming to grips with human mortality and trying to understand what this means uh, and what is sort of the plan of Iluvatar in this whole mortality business uh, with the humans, but it's also the, the it's also the way that they are perceiving that Middle-earth is different, right? It's not just the humans that are different. It's Middle-earth that is different. They themselves are changing. Um, Mm -hmm. They feel it. Um, And that this could be a time, right? But here's the other thing. That issue, the question of the mortality of humans and and the changing of Middle-earth and the years of the sun and all that kind of thing, that has to be connected with the military questions as well, right? The other, like, overarching question, which is going to culminate in episode 13, is what do we do in this whole war against Morgoth, right? Right. What's the plan? What's what's the plan and what are our prospects in this war against Morgoth, right? Um, And this, I think, is where, with Finrod, we can have the Athrabeth be a really important turning point, right? Because we can... uh, Um... He's not only going to... So there are going to be a couple different layers of his realization, right? One realization is like, okay, so humans are mortal. Uh, but also, it's not just that humans are mortal. It's that Middle-earth is changing. The rate of change mm-hmm. in Middle-earth is accelerating, right? To try to preserve the status quo, that whole elvish impulse to preserve the status quo, as we uh, were talking about last time, Finrod realizes... That's not only pointless, it's, it's futile, it's counter to the way that Middle-earth works, right? If they're going to live in Middle-earth, that means change. And that has huge implications for the overall Noldoran strategy in Beleriand, right? Because ultimately, the Leaguer is a status quo kind of thing, right? The whole philosophy of the Leaguer of Angband is... We can hold Morgoth and his fo- and his his forces in here, and therefore preserve the status quo. Right? Um, we can't. We probably. I mean, many people will be thinking. You know, that some some will argue against this, but many will be saying, we can't defeat him. Right? We can't destroy Morgoth and like raise Angman to the ground. So that's a change. That would be a pleasant change, but it's not possible. Right? Um, I mean, there are only three options, right? Either they de- they defeat Morgoth, or Morgoth defeats them, or they maintain the status quo, right? And so, theoretically, 
as Finrod is having his process over the course of the season where he is coming to recognize change in Middle-earth, um, what he could be coming to recognize is that the status, maintaining the status quo can't happen. And therefore, the insight that he would have is the leaguer is doomed. Mm-hmm. The leaguer is doomed. Um, so... Um, I, I think that we can tie those things all together. And so in this way, I mean, this is a really, you know, the funeral of Beor would be a very gentle turning point, the gentlest turning point that we've had, right? Because really it would be an entirely psychological turning point. Well, not for Beor. Um, for Bayard's physical turning point as well. But for everybody else, including our sort of seasoned protagonist, Finrod, um, it's a psychological viewpoint. It's a worldview ter- uh, turning point, right? Um, that's challenging. I don't think it's impossible, but that's, that's challenging. Um, uh, yeah, exactly. Mariel says funerals are naturally are full are, are full naturally of rites and remembrances of beliefs of the afterlife and things. So, um, you know, it it would make a thoughtful elf reflect on the question of mortality. Absolutely. And Maria is reminding us that the afterbeth is meant to happen in the wake of of a funeral, not not Bayor's personal funeral, but uh, one of the people of Bayor's funeral. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, and he is really old when he dies, so she doesn't. She could be like late middle age. I mean, she, mm-hmm. so you know, she still yeah. could be. No, no, no. When I say I, I don't mean she needs to be like seventy uh, or like right, eighty right, right, or whatever. Right. She, I, I, I just mean we don't necessarily. It's we don't have to worry about having the right. You know, it, it's it's fine. We don't have to. We don't have to yeah. wait until until uh, much later. Um, and I do definitely want to have someone was asking earlier, does this mean that we want to move the Athrobeth to before she falls in love with Ignor? Goodness no. No. no, 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 no. That's absolutely essential in the Athrobeth. Um uh absolutely. Um Yeah, yeah. Um Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, that's what I was thinking, Rhiannon. Uh, having Andreth right after Bayora would be compressing like a hundred years from the timeline. Yep, yep, that's right around what I was thinking. Um, I think we have more than that to spare, honestly. Um, uh, yes, and Chris, you're right. Bayor's death would also be a signal that the older generation of men is now passing. Um, and also, if Andreth is still around... Right, if she is our bridge between the f- two halves of the season, then when we come back in the next episode, and Andreth is now, you know, uh, mm-hmm. significantly vis- visibly older, right? Then we have a built-in cue for the fact that time has passed, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, Marie, no. yes, <laughs> I do think that it would mean that Ignor and Andreth's falling in love would be pre-midpoint uh, and people dying would be post-midpoint. I, I, if we could make it work, if we could make it work, I would still love for Andreth to survive the Dagor Bragalai. 
even if she has to be super old, I would be, I mean, she comes from a long lived kindred. Uh, I would, uh, I would love for Andreth to survive the battle. Um, Why is that? Because I think it would be fun. I, <laughs> I think it would be fun if for her to uh, have Vignor is one of the things that I think about that. Um, Good enough. Uh, but um, yes, exactly, Nick. She should outlive. She should outlive uh, Ignor. That's exactly what I want. Um, uh, yes. Yes. Um, yeah, no, Mariel, she should of... fall in love with him when she's young. Absolutely. No, like, I'm, I'm totally imagining uh, a young Andreth falling in love with Ignor. Um, yeah, no worries. And then time passes, right? And it's it, the whole... Well... It would be kind of sadly yeah. ironic if she outlives him, right? Yeah, really sadly ironic. Yeah. It would be awesome. Yeah, That's, yeah. I think er- we talked about that before. Didn't yeah, we? we did. Yeah. We did. Well, especially when you think about like the way the rest of the season's being structured, which is, I mean, I, I, I actually really like, um, <clears throat> I really like this idea of the funeral as the midpoint, just because, because mm-hmm. it's really different. From, yes. it, it'll be it's a clear signal to uh to to both the characters and the viewers that like things things are happening we talked about this last time yeah. like this idea that like the theme of the season will be change and the idea that like it's the the arrival of the arrival of men is like what what really cues that like things are kind of sort of accelerating in some sense but it's like it's, it's where the elves really start to notice that like if you know when they stop and look around that things are changing um uh you know in ways that they maybe previously hadn't really wouldn't have necessarily noticed um uh but when 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 you know men that they're friends with grow old and die it's like oh wow yes so i I think this is a great idea and then i think and then i think like a, a sad reversal of that would be to have um um andreth outlive ignorant yes yeah Yes, and she doesn't have to outlive him by a whole lot. Um, I mean, I don't see, I don't, I don't see dragging poor Andreth all the way out until the near ninth or something. Um, uh, but, but yeah, just, just Pretty after, quick. like, basically, I think, like, what I really want from Andreth, and I'm not sure. I think there's more that I want from Andreth, but I'm not sure exactly yet all what it is. But I see Andreth as, as basically, okay, no, what I am seeing. Is Finrod and Andreth the two of them? Like the two of them who have the Athrobeth, right? Who hold that discussion together. They are the two central characters of the whole season, right? Andreth being the representative of men and Finrod being the representative of elves. The whole theme of change and staying the same and dealing with change and dealing with not changing and struggling with the idea of how do the two kindred, you know, how do the two uh, uh, kindreds of the children of Iluvatar coexist in this world? Like those are the questions. And Finrod and Andreth are our two characters who are the ones wrestling with this both together, right? In the Athrobeth and separately through their own experiences. Right? So one of the reasons that I want Athrobeth um, the, uh, Athereth. One of the reasons I want Andreth to survive the battle is not only for the sake of the irony, which I think is sad and beautiful, but also because I want her to be the point of contact. For, like 
I want her reflection, her perspective. I, I want the, I want the, I want to be hearing her reflections on the Dagor Bragalak. I want her to be transmitting like the human response to the Dagor Bragalak to right. our audience. That's great. You see what I yes. mean? Um, and I think that both of them, both Andreth and Finrod, can have a really interesting trajectory um, as far as how where they go in their relationship. In, the, in their relationship to change and in their understanding about how all this stuff sort of works together. Um, uh, yeah. Marielle says she, she, she does want Andreth to outlive Ignor. She just doesn't know if we want geriatric Andreth still mooning over Ignor. Um, no, I think that by the time Andreth is geriatric, even before his death, she's reconciled to the non-consummation of their relationship. Like, she doesn't necessarily cease to love him, but that's one of the things that is one of the really subtle psychological dramas of the Athrabeth is that her love, there is a strong risk of her love. You can hear it at a bunch of places of her love turning to bitterness and anger in the Athrabeth. And it's one of the things that Finrod is dealing with and dealing with really gently um, in the Athrabeth is one of the things that I find most beautiful about it. Um, so... Thinking of that element, kind of taking that element and expanding that. One of the reasons, by the way, that I'm not worried about shifting the Athrobeth to when she's younger is that we can take what happens there in the Athrobeth, what Tolkien dramatizes in the Athrobeth, and we can spread that over a longer time. Like, we can, we can, we don't have to do all that in one scene. Um, we can take some of those different elements and let those elements play out in different parts of the story and over the course of the season, really. Um, so, Marielle, I'm thinking as she ages, right, the time of like, oh, I am a star-crossed lover and really upset about that is going to be in her youth, right? Um, the time in her age, as she ages, is she's, she's reconciled. Like she know she she's reconciled to the fact she knows it isn't going to happen, right? So she's not sitting there still like sending him like secret love missives, you know, when she's like eighty years old. Like that's not going to be happening. Um, she will long since have been reconciled to the fact that a relationship between them is not possible, right? To the mere fact that that is true, but not to the reality necessarily that it represents. And she's mad. She's angry. She's bitter. And her dealing with that bitterness, the bitterness of change, the bitterness of disappointment, the bitterness of loss, loss of a different kind, not just the loss of loved ones or, uh, you know, in death, um, but other kinds of loss, right? This, the, 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 the specter of this wise woman who hopefully we can get our, our viewers really to like, but who is, bitter and disappointed and has had like has not had anything she wanted out of her life come to pass right that's another kind of loss um and um yeah yeah so anyway like and she's got to deal with that right she's and so there's going to be sort of turning points along the way there and the dagger bragalak is going to be sort of the culmination of that right of how she sort of deals with that um okay so yeah um Let's let's move on because we're st people are starting to ask me about so about what episode I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> so let's let's think about some of the other things that we got to figure out that'll help us to kind of frame this maybe a little bit better. Um, 
Let's think about the Dagor Bragalak itself. This is a great question. Um, how many episodes will we devote to the battle? So there are a few, epi- a few options. One is that both the battle and Fingolfin's duel appear in episode 13. So like either the very end of episode 12 or the very beginning of episode 13, the fire sweeps across the plain, the battle begins, and then we end with Fingolfin being borne off, you know, Fingolfin's body being borne off to Gondolin and buried by Turgon. That's one option. Do all of that in one episode. It's kind of a lot, but we could do it. Um, another option would be to have the battle be mostly in episode 12, ending on a cliffhanger with the end of the battle, aftermath, and Fingolfin's duel in episode 13. Um, we could have the onset of the battle, the running flames, come at the end of episode 11, and then have the battle itself be in 12 and aftermath in 13. Uh, what do you guys think about this? Any Any strong opinions on this? I think trying to do, especially with the, the, the Fingolfin stuff that we talked about last time and the way that we're thinking about trying to handle Fingolfin's duel and like why he goes off on his duel, I'm kind of thinking that that would be hard to do at the very tail end of an episode in which we already had the entire battle. Mm-hmm. I, I kind of think we are going to need to separate it into two. I was going to say two. I was, that's what I was thinking, too. Especially if we want time for some denouement at the end, right? Like if I, because I, 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 I do want to. I mean, I'm imagining elderly Andreth with ashes on her face, right? With ashes and soot on her face, but surviving, uh, like talking to somebody and reflecting on the battle, right? I, I really, I don't know what they are yet, but I feel like Andreth should get a speech, which is like one of the culminating like conceptually culminating parts of this season and she's delivering that with soot on her face at the end of the Dagor Bragalak when fighting has ceased. Um, not sure uh, exactly what that is yet, but that's what I'm thinking. Um, uh, yeah, so no, we can't cram it all into 13. If we're going to have time for that, plus Fingolfin, plus... Uh, and I don't think we need to... Well, actually, okay, so hang on. Let's just, let me go on to the next bits here. Uh, That is the summary of battle events and of aftermath events. So we've got the flames run out across the plains. We're going to need the deaths of uh, Ignor and finally of Angrod. We are going to need uh, the inability of the Feanorians or Fingolfin to reach Dorthonian. So we're going to have to show how the forces have been divided. Uh, We're going to have deaths. Um... Deaths among the people of Bayor, whether or not Bregalas is the person doing it. Uh, we need to have the death of Hador, uh, maybe of Gondor, if, if we don't cut him already. Um, and we need to have... So we, we're, 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 we're going to have important humans dying uh, all over the place. And we need to have Bari here rescuing Finrod. That, of course, is going to be a crucial, crucial point. Um, and then in the aftermath events, the overrunning of Dorthonian and the retreat uh, of... Bari here, right? So Finrod will gift Bari here the ring that I, I, I sort of would lump that into Bari here rescuing Finrod, really. Um, I think we need to establish Bari here and uh, Baron, perhaps, like fleeing into the wilderness there in Dorthonian. Um, show the Feanorians in retreat what happened with them. Um, have uh, Enfauglith, absolutely. Show the gasping dust. Show what has happened. Uh, to uh, uh, to the fields, right? To that whole plain um, as a result. 
um, you know, showing the the spreading of the desolation of Morgoth there into the south. Uh, certainly, certainly. Um, ooh, Mariel is thinking that maybe Andreth's speech sort of prefigures the Turin story. Um, uh, not suicide, but death is a gift because it's an escape. Ooh, that's really interesting. That's really interesting. That's very interesting. That's uh, dark, but I'm not opposed. It'll be interesting. It'll be interesting. Um, okay. Uh, yes, Nick says it would be especially powerful if Andreth made her speech to Finrod after he has left the battle. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Very cool. Very cool. Um, and, yeah, so... Um, the taking of Minas Tirith by Thu Sauron. Um, I don't know if we want to do that in this season. I think we might do that next season. I think we do that next season. Yeah, I think we do that at the beginning of next season because then we have the establishment of Sauron and Minas Tirith and the kicking out of Sauron from the former Minas Tirith in the same season, right? We, we, we can help to set up Sauron as the antagonist in the Baron and Luthien story uh, if we establish him there in Minas Tirith there at the beginning of season six. So let's, let's do that. Let's do that. Yeah. I don't think that need to be too much ground, Nick. The, uh, the, 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 the taking of Minas Tirith by Sauron can be accomplished pretty quickly. Um, I'm not too worried about that, time-wise. Okay. Anyway, so yeah. Um, yeah. All right. Two episodes. Let's see what we think as far as do we want the the sweeping flames to come at the end of episode 11 or at the beginning of episode 12. Um, it's going to depend a lot about what happens in episode 11 as to whether or not that makes for a fit and shocking culmination to that episode, or if it would just feel like a non sequitur. Um, let's see how episode 11 shapes up before we... Did I say, what did I say? Did I say it wrong, Rihanna? End of episode 11 or beginning of episode 12 is what I meant to say. Um, yeah, so let's, let's just hang on to that and see what happens in episode 11 uh, before, we, before we get there. Okay, so we've got, we've got two episodes then for the Dagor Bragalach. So that's pretty clear. Okay, so then thinking about sort of other events here. Um, so many events that happen around the end of the Dagor Bragalach. Do we wish to include them in the episode, final episode or save them? Sauron captures Minas Tirith. I already talked about that later. Oridreth retreats to Nargothrond. Um, later. I say later. We can uh, pick... Uh, the fact that Oridreth is there can be established when we go back to Finrod. I mean, we could always have Finrod meet up with him. I mean, Finrod is going to be involved there in episode 13, so that's possible. But um, uh, but I, I think that's... We can, we can, we can have Oridreth just there... Uh, and going off screen with Finrod, and then later on in season six, we establish that he's in Nargothrond. The arrival of Kelgorm and Kurafin in Nargothrond. Okay, so Nick, I'm willing to say that I think we could have Sauron take over Minas Tirith and establish that antagonist at the beginning of the season without impinging too much on the story of Baron and Luthien. I am not sure that we can do that and the arrival of Kelgorm and Kurafin. That's a little bit more challenging. 
but I think maybe we can do it. In any case, I'm game to try. Uh, so I think that we should. Um, I think that we should do. I think that we should do. Um, Kelgorm and Kurofin later. I'm kicking the can on Kelgorm and Kurofin mostly just because I don't want their arrival in Nargothrond. It's not a culmination of this season's action. It's a setup for next season's action, and so as such, I'd rather keep it in season six if we could swing it. Um, ML Deer and possibly Geriatric Andrith, with her leading the women and children refugees from Dorthonian to Brethel and Dor Loman. Yes. That's a this season thing. See, that's a perfect example, contrasted with Kelgorm and Kurofin, where Kelgorm and Kurofin's arrival in Nargothrond is only important for season six. In season five, who cares? The, you know, the sort of trail of tears that Emeldir and uh, Andreth would be leading there, that's the culmination of season five, right? That's, that's one of the things. In fact, I can even imagine to... Uh, I, I, I can even imagine... Um, showing ML Deer leading the people, like cutting away to that, like while Andreth is talking in the big final speech that she's making. Um I don't know that she's with them. I don't know that she's with them, but I uh uh anyway, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. Um But yeah, ML Deer, that, that we definitely need we don't have to show too much of that. Um, I, that is, I don't think we, you know, we need to have it happening and, and you know, and, and like dialogue and everything. I, I think we just sort of show it occurring um, and setting up for. That is, we, we need to have Bari here telling ML Deer to, you know, like the, the, the two of them deciding that she's going to take the women and children away. Like that should happen. Um, and then we can show them doing it. Um, okay, young Hurin and who are rescued by eagles and brought to Gondolin. Dang it. Oi. I have no idea where to put that. None at all. Because it's going to feel like a non sequitur wherever it comes. I feel like. That would work better season seven? Which? Huren and Hoor? Yeah. Yeah. Great. Okay, yeah. So if season so season six is going to be Baron and Luthien, and season seven is going to be uh, basically the Near Knife, then yeah, let's save Horn and Huor. Yes, by all means, let's push them to episode this is episode season seven. Certainly, the death of Tevildo. The death of Tevildo. Um. Hmm. First of all, Nick, would we have to monkey with a chronology very much? Yeah, we would. I mean, after the Dagor Bragalak, Hurin's in charge, so obviously it has to have already happened. It is. A, it would be a funky flashback. I do grant you that. Rhiannon, what a wonderful suggestion. Rhiannon wants to have Haleth kill Tevildo. I say Ooh. yes to Ooh. that. Yes. Oh Good my idea. goodness, yes. Yes. Good idea. We were wanting something more for Haleth to do, like to accomplish, other than just leading her people from one place to another. And 
beating off orcs in an awesome way on several occasions. Yeah. Oh, I love it. I love it. In Breath Hill, sure. Sure. Especially since, like, Beleg is going to remember him. Tevildo, that is. Like, Beleg has had run-in with the cats of, run-ins with the cats of Tevildo before. And if we put the, if we put the slaying of Tevildo in the context of the whole interaction between, um, uh, between Haleth and Doriath, basically, right? Um, that would be, like, major street cred, right, for, uh, for Haleth and the Haladin, if, if they take... I mean, Beleg would certainly be really impressed. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Stephen would like to have Baron kill him uh, in Season 6 during his one-man guerrilla war. I hear that. I hear that. That's an attractive option, too. But see, like for Baron, so okay. Here's the thing, Stephen. Baron gets spiders, right? I mean, he's going to be able to establish his awesomeness a by surviving, but b by fighting like Shelob and company. She, he can't kill Shelob personally for obvious reasons, but like he could like kill like all of Shelob's brothers or whatever, like on his way down, right? Uh, so he's going to already he already has some boss fights, like you know, in his, uh, in his future there, conceivably. Um, so yeah. So whereas Haleth were, we, we were wanting something for her to do. And it is true that Tevildo is becoming increasingly superfluous. Um, you don't think that killing Shelob's big brother is much of an accomplishment? Dude, I don't know. Uh, uh, besides which, do I want to be playing heavily upon parallels between Samwise Gamgee and Baron? Oh yes, I do. Right. So uh, yeah, no, like I'm, I'm, I already have penciled in to make a big feature uh, of Beleg fighting spiders, um, and to be doing all kinds of things that are going to have some excellent payoff on the stairs of Kirathungol many years down the road. So I, I kind of have my heart set on that already. Uh, but, um, but yeah, ex- so I, I think for that reason, we wouldn't want to have Baron have another boss. Um, but um, anyway, yeah, yeah. Um, I know that Baron is Frodo in that scenario. I totally get that, Stephen. But um but it, he's also Sam, too. In, I mean, there, there are also parallels there as well. Anyway, I agree. I agree. Sam is more Luthien and Frodo is more Baron. Um, but, um, but still. But still. <laughs> I, think, uh, I think it's... I think we can, we can establish... We will have lots of opportunities to establish Baron's awesomeness. But Haleth, I wanted more stories for her, and I'm loving that idea. So let's see what we can do with the death of Tevildo, because I agree, it is pretty much time. We are going to be killing off lots of bad guys in Season 6, Maria. I mean, we're like Sauron's whole crew. He's going to lose his entire crew, right? I mean, we've always known Thorin Gwethel was going to die, though we have no idea how. Tolkien doesn't mention it, right? Just that we don't even get introduced to her. And like we only get introduced to Thorin Gwethil posthumously uh, in Tolkien's writing, right? So, um, 
So, but anyway, we knew we were going to do that. We needed to do that for Luthien to be able to put on her bat cloak and uh, and fly to Angband. Um, uh, and Draugluin, of course, is is we know is going to be killed. Um, so, yeah, it's um, it's going to be it's going to be pretty pretty bad uh, for Sauron's whole team goes down. So when Sauron goes off into hiding, he's on his own, right? When he flees off into the distance, he's now isolated and alone and will always be alone. I mean, even the Witch King is really no more than a junior assistant. Nothing like Thurin Gwethel, even like Draugluin and Tevildo, necessarily. Um, okay. Okay. All right. Um, yeah. Okay. No, love the, love the Haleth versus Tevildo idea. I think this is fantastic. Um, She's going to hunt him down. She's going to hear... They're going to warn her. I think Beleg is going to warn Haleth that these woods are often haunted by this monstrous cat and his uh, sadistic, you know, comrades. And she's going to take that as a challenge... She's going to hunt him down, and then the next time she meets Beleg, she's going to have Tevildo's pelt nailed to a wall and say, you mean this one, right? I, that's, I think, kind of more or less how this is, uh, how that's kind of going to go. Um, but um, That would be pretty great. That would be awesome. I, I love it, and I think there's plenty of potential making this fit into Holith's story as a whole. Um, okay. Great. I think this is awesome. Stephen says, is she the ancestor of Bayorn? I think we can make her look a lot like that, actually. Um, uh, she doesn't have to actually be directly Bayorn-like, but, um, um, but, uh, but, but, but yes. Uh, Haleth is a bad enemy, <laughs> right? Just like Bayorn. A good friend, but a bad enemy. Um, okay, so we're definitely going to turf Hurin and Huor to season seven. I just, I think we've got to, Nick. I, again, I get the flashback problem, but where are we going to fit him? We can't do it here. I mean, can we do that in this season? In season five? When on earth would we do that? The, okay, here's the, the only excuse I can think of is if we want a Gondolin check-in, right? Because we're going to be mostly done with Gondolin by the time we get to the death of Arthel, right? And, and, and you know, Maeglin's establishment. Until we get Fing- the, 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 you know, until Fingolfin's corpse arrives in Gondolin in episode 13, we don't really have any excuse uh, to check in with Gondolin and what's going on with Gondolin. So we could take Hurin and Huor as an excuse and do them in an episode in the second half of this season. Um as a way to bring Turgon into the whole elves and humans and change happening uh, discussion. Because goodness knows that Turgon, as we... I mean, I was citing Turgon as... Turgon is one of my examples as the extreme end of the, of the preservationist impulse among the elves, right? I think of all of the elves, he's the most resistant to change. Uh, so... We, it might be worthwhile to take an excuse um, to uh, um, to visit Gondolin again 
and to have him in, and 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 by bringing Horn and Huor there, we're bringing the theme home to Gondolin, right? The theme of change. It start. I mean, we get it with Arathel at the beginning of the season, um, and again, this can be one of the sort of beefs between Arathel and Turgon, right? She gets that. She sees this impulse towards mere preservationism. This. This, you know, let's 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 try to recreate Valinor and kind of preserve this in amber here within the Valley of Gondolin. And she's like, this is not only not what I signed up for, but I don't know. Yeah. OK, both Marie and Rhiannon are voting for uh, season seven. It, it might well. We do have Nick's flashback flashback problem um, that it's it would be a flashback conceivably. We could do it not exactly as a, I mean, sort of as a flash, but we could just have it as, it could be a bottle episode. It could be episode one of season seven. A- episode one is just, it starts with who are in and who are in the wild. And we don't know who these young men are or why they're important. And then they're taken up by eagles. And uh, yeah, exactly. A step back, not a flashback, Marie. And then we have the whole story. And then at the end of the episode, we sort of flash forward to Hurin in Dorloman, the, you know, ruler of his people there at the beginning of season seven. That's what I'm thinking, right? It's not exactly a bottle episode, Nick. It's not precisely the right phrase. Um, I just want to get... I just wanted to show off that I knew what that phrase meant, but I misapplied it. So that pretty much undermined my position there. Oh, well, um, if there's, if there's one thing I am, it's like hip to, uh, you know, TV writing terminology. Um, okay. I was impressed, Corey. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. I said kind of, kind of, kind of, kind of under undermined it, but that's okay. Um, yeah. By the way, I think that would work really well, actually. Uh, and that, that's like a that's not a like that's a that's a fairly common device to right, use right to do that kind of a that kind of a mm-hmm. back in time at the beginning of a yeah mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. okay I agree all right so fine so we can save that for season seven and look at that I already did the work of figuring out how we incorporate it into season seven so isn't that helpful but that doesn't get us very much further along towards. Um, uh, our outline of season five. Okay, so let's think about elves versus men. In season two, the majority of episodes were elf-centric, but three of the 13 were still Valar-centric. What should be the balance between elf, elven men, dwarven storylines in season five? How many of our episodes will be elf-centric versus episodes that are men-centric with a mortal protagonist? Um... Right. In other words, like, are we presenting Beor as a character in Finrod's story? So my answer is, yeah, I, I, I so I, I think that this kind of connects back with what I was suggesting about Andreth and Finrod, right? As being the two focal, they are the two primary protagonists. Um, not exclusively because, of course, we need at least a couple Arathel episodes, right? Where she at least features. Um, if it is not, if She's not the complete focus of those episodes. Um, so, yes, but Beor should be a character in Finrod's story. But Finrod and Andreth sort of meet equally. And several, like, Ignor is a character in Andreth's story, 
essentially. Um, I would be fine with that. I would be fine with Ignor and Angrod and a lot of them being essentially, becoming essentially characters in, in Andreth's story um, as we begin to focus in on the storyline of the men and the elves and some of the elvish characters can kind of fade into the background a little bit as we focus on this sort of new spiritual slash metaphysical drama of like now there are humans and what does this mean what does this mean for elves what does this mean for men but even more importantly again as this is the theme of the season what does it mean for middle earth right like what does this tell us about like Iluvatar's plans for middle earth you know like what it, what what kind of conclusions can we draw from that um yeah yeah I can understand the impulse to have the season be elf-centric with the humans being characters in the elf stories, but I find myself resistant to that idea. Um, here's the main reason I find myself resistant to that idea. I am totally on board with the theme of the season being change, and I think that's a really cool way to convey change is if we have these characters that we've come to know, but we don't really see them from the same point of view. Right. They won't look the same. Um, I mean, I think it would be really interesting, for instance, even to have things like debates between Fingolfin and and Finrod and Fingon and, uh, you know, Mythros be told from the point of view of uh, Hador. Right. Like we basically see it from Hador's point of view. Um, I think that would be really interesting. Um, all right. Chris is saying we should have some men point of view stories so we can have some of those entering into the land of fairy moments. That's true. Especially episode one with the meeting with Finrod. And, hmm. And with the bringing in of, of the whole Finrod's, Val- you know, Valinorian. Are we going to have Finrod thing. having a feast in the forest and he disappears when they Yeah, that's the it. Exactly. Yeah. He, he, he should vanish and... <laughs> uh, Hunt the white stag. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, okay. Here's the other thing, though, Chris. We could save that for Baron, right? Because Baron entering Doriath is the, like, big transgression into fairy moment, right? So we might want to save that whole experience for... There will be elements of it. Like, when they are... There's going to be an element of, like, even somebody like Hador, peer of Elven Kings, right? Even somebody like Hador sitting there at council with the great elf lords, there's still going to be kind of like, there's going to be some impulse to fanboyism, right? I mean, there's going to be some impulse to hero worship there. We can show in some ways, Nick, I think it would be interesting. You know, Nick is suggesting the lighting should be different. Uh, uh, Punching up how men see the Calaquendi as nearly godlike figures. Yeah, we can show that. Um, But, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, hmm. Hmm. Okay. Um, 
Hmm. Yeah, I think that if we do... So what will the balance be? What will the balance be? I think the balance should be close to even between Aravel and Finrod. We have quite a bit of Elvish point of view to show. Between Beor's original scenes in, you know, Beor in episode one, uh, or at least in parts of episode one, and Andreth in a number of the episodes, we have a fair bit of human perspective there as well. Um, yeah. Yeah, so I'm not... I'm, I'm having a hard time coming up with numbers because I still, I, I'm still too vague on stories. I don't really know for sure how long it's going to take us to do each one. You know what I'm kind of thinking? I'm kind of thinking of wimping out. Does this sound good to you guys? Do you like the idea of wimping out? Here's what I'm thinking about wimping out on. Yes, I do like this. What if? Because, see, last season, right, last season, we did discussion of, like, themes and storylines first, and then we did the episodes, episode by episode, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. What if we wimp out and we wait until after we discuss the storylines to make the outline? Because I'm... I still feel like I would need to talk through each of these storylines more. I mean, we've said some general things about how we kind of want to do more with Haleth. But I would really want to sit down and say, like, okay, what's Haleth's character? What's Haleth's story? Right. What are going to be right. events in Haleth's story before I can really say how many episodes are we going to want her her to span? You know, mm-hmm. I'm not even sure how many episodes I want Arthel to span, honestly, because I can see us doing that you know, kind of extending that or compressing it in a couple different ways. Um, when exactly in the season should Andreth fall in love with Ignor? How should that progress? And how does this relate to more elderly and uh, angry Andreth later on? I'm not really sure. Um, I... I really want to... And I'm not even sure of how many characters yet that we want exactly like which human characters we want to make our stories around and which generations we're going to cut and how we balance the chronology. I don't have the details of that hammered out yet. And I would want to hammer out the details of those things before we really tried to set. I I feel like right now I, 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 the, the, the storylines in my mind are still too vague for us to really hammer out a clear outline. I think, um, at least that's certainly how I'm feeling about it. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, Chris, I think it would be interesting to have an episode that shows both an elf and a man's point of view. Um, mm-hmm. uh, Chris is thinking of a main character, man and elf are on a mission together or you know, they're doing something together and they keep seeing things differently. That would be really interesting. Um, I'm not sure what exactly, but that would be really interesting. Let's keep that in mind. Um, yeah. Yeah. I don't, I'm, I'm finding myself like categorically resistant to 
trying to determine like the length in episodes of each of these individual storylines until I work out the storylines more. Um, I'm definitely wanting to talk about the storylines more before we arrange exactly what the episodes episode by episode would be. Um, anyway, let me I'm sure the writers love that. Yeah, no, I think d- more delay in that regard is clearly <laughs> going to be popular all round. Um, uh, which of the men need to be central characters in their episodes rather than playing a role in someone else's story? And do these characters get more than a single episode for that story to be told? Okay, Halith and Hador, Beor and Amlach, Andreth and Barahir. Oi. Oi, indeed. You could have a whole just human season. I mean, you know, yeah, so geez. see, like, yeah, so here's another thing. Amlach, right? I only have kind of vague ideas about Amlach's story. Right. I mean, everything that I'm currently thinking about Umlock's story could certainly be fit into one episode, but maybe that's just because I haven't developed his storyline enough. Um, yeah. Yeah. And then um, Hador. Hador, I think, can be. So as far as to answer the specific question, like which of these men need to be the central character in their episodes? Um, Andreth, as I've said, I want her not only to be center, center in her episode, I want her to be the spokesman for humanity, like the chiefs, you know, just as so Finrod and Andreth to be the primary representatives of, elf, of elves and humans in the season as a whole. Right. So she's an overarchingly important character. It's one of the reasons why I want her to bridge the first and to, to the second half of the season. Because um, I want her to be able to have input on both of those things, from the death of Beor through to uh, the Dagor Bragalach. Um, of the rest of them, Haleth is the other one who obviously has to be the central character in her episode. Even if we have a complete, like a Haleth bottle episode in the middle, I don't know that we necessarily need to do it that way, but even if we did, it would be totally worth it. Haleth needs to be the focal point of her story. No one's going to tell Haleth's story from the Elvish point of view. I mean, that would be antithetical to everything the Haleth story is about. Nobody now, puts Haleth in the corner. Nobody puts Haleth in the corner. That's right. <laughs> Forget about it. Um, uh, yeah, exactly. Murray says Haleth won't let anyone else take over. Um, uh uh, exactly. Beor and Hador now, though, both of them I would see primarily being from the Elvish point of view, because they are the ones who are primarily related to uh, to elves, right? They are the ones who are primarily um, uh, establish themselves in relationship to uh, to to humans, or sorry, to, to the elves. Um, exactly. The political storylines all related to important elvish figures, elvish characters from our story coming in. Bari here is a bit of a wild card. I don't think that Bari here has to be a major character. I think that Bari here can be kind of a, he's an important character, but he doesn't have to be the focal point of an episode. I don't think, um, he's important primarily because of sort of the role he is in as this, this sort of like last king, right, of Dorthonian in a sense, right? He's this kind of Arvedui-esque figure. Um, uh, certainly he's going to play an important role in 12 and 13. Sure. I mean, he plays an important role in the battle. Um, uh, and Finrod is good. But when Finrod relates to him, you see, like, Finrod's oath to Bari here 
I don't see that as a culmination of Barahir's character development, right? I don't see that as a culmination of like Finrod's, you know, like the, the final fruition of the long relationship between Finrod and Barahir, personally. I see Barahir in that exchange, in his rescuing of Finrod and of Finrod's oath. I see Barahir as primarily being sort of representative of humans, right? He's the sort of... Um, uh, I, I, I mean, I see him almost, well, not symbolically, that goes way too far, but, but do you see what I mean? Like, he doesn't have to be himself a major character whom we're super invested in personally. Um, he's going to be, I think, in some ways, a more important character at the beginning of the next season, and we can build on him a lot more at the beginning of season six um, during the outlaw stage. Um, but exactly, Marie, it's all about, that's Finrod's epiphany, um, the oath that he takes, the realization that he has, Barahir does the thing. He rescues him, right? He's a, he, 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 he performs actions, but I don't think that he need be himself a sort of a deeply well-rounded character. Barahir, I mean. Um, it, that is absolutely, that, that, that exchange is absolutely Finrod is the protagonist of that whole thing, even though he's the one who's being saved. Uh, he's definitely the protagonist there. Um, Andreth is the Andreth is the most important human character in the Dagor Bragalak, even though she's not fighting in it. Um, and Finrod is the most important character, even though he's not the one dying dramatically in the Dagor Bragalak. Um, uh, Fingolfin's duel is really important too, separately. But again, that's we can separate those things as I, as we talked about already. Okay, episode one, yes, introducing Bayor, seeing the elves from a mortal perspective. Um, we switch back to an elvish viewpoint in, in episode two, definitely. Um, I, I wonder if we even make it all the way through episode one before shifting back uh, to a view, but maybe we can pull it off. Maybe we make the whole of episode two, um, and we play on the parallel of... The trip from Quivienen to um, the the trip from Quivienen to 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 Valinor, right? Um, we have the primary drama of Episode One B, Finrod's invitation, Finrod doing the Orome, right, and bringing Beor and his people in and um, escorting them to Bliss and uh, and all and and we can show this from the human perspective, right? I mean, this is like. We've arrived at the land of milk and honey, right? This is this is it, and he swears his oath. Um, good, yes, Rhiannon. Be- uh, Bayar serving Finrod, and Finrod swearing an oath to Barahir. Those are the bookends. Yeah, yeah, in, in a lot of ways. The first one is a failure, ultimately. I mean, fr- Finrod, failure of Finrod's perspective, right? The, the, the premise of the establishment of the relationship between Bayar and Finrod that happens in episode one... Um, that's going to fail, right? Ultimately, Finrod is going to see the failure of that, that it's just not, it can't work that way. Um, and his oath to Barahir at the end, which is in a sense, kind of the, 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 the mirror image of it, right? Instead of Beor swearing to serve Finrod for the rest of his life, we're going to get Finrod swearing to serve Barahir and his house, right? And bestowing upon him the ring. That's um, a really cool inversion, and I think will work really well to shape the whole season with Finrod at the center. 
I really, I really love that. Um, yeah, how does Arthel fit in? Don't know, don't know. Um, we could, we could start Arthel in episode two. We could integrate her into episode one. Not really sure yet. Again, I, I kind of. Um, Again, I feel like I've got the ends of the story, right? But I don't see... I couldn't give you a plot summary of Finrod's trajectory, right? I want to I, I want to do that more. I want to work on that more. Um, hey, Nick, that's a great idea. Let's tell Arathel and Ale's story as a flashback from Season 7. Yeah, no, in Season 7, that's great. I agree, Nick. Let's, I think we should have Season 7 contain as much flashback as possible. I think that'd be really good. Um, but no, of course I'm joking because we need Arathel and Aeol in order to set up Baron and Luthien for next season. So um, I want plenty of creepy parallels. Yeah. To raise doubt and tension and uncertainty at the meeting of Baron and Luthien. Um, okay. Okay. So, yeah. Good. Lots of stuff to do there. Um, here's my suggestion. I would love to see. I know that some of you guys, uh, you know, some of our writers and, and uh, uh, you know, contributors on our discussion boards are definitely thinking about, you know, have ideas about episodes and how we could space this stuff out. Would love to see suggestions. I would be really interested to review. I'm, you know, when I say, you know, kind of teasing myself and accusing myself of wimping out, I don't actually think it is wimping out. Uh, I think wanting to know where we're going with the storylines before we make an outline is actually probably good sense, um, if I could accuse myself of that. But, um, but anyway... I'd be really interested to hear the kind of uh, thoughts that you guys have about that. I'd be willing to review some of that, um, uh, some of your suggestions for outlines, and uh, to see, you know, how we how we think that might work. That might be a fun thing to do next time. Certainly, in our next session, we will also um, uh, talk about. Um, um, uh, uh, talk about. Um, the frame. That's what it is that we'll talk about. Sorry, uh, lost my train of thought. Oh, look, sorry, I didn't quite get to our timeline here. Um, we'll talk about this next time. We'll talk about the timeline. We've got our Gantt chart to review. Uh, we're going to start filling out the Gantt chart, so that'll be lots of fun uh, filling out the Gantt chart. We'll, we can review that. Um, and then, of course, we'll, we will be thinking about the frame, too. So I want to talk about the frame uh, for next time. What are we going to do for a frame in Season 5? And how are we going to make that fit within the uh, within the themes of the season. And then maybe come back and, uh, if you guys want to, I'm happy to just go and start talking about storylines next time, but I don't want to thwart you guys. If you know, the, the, the other contributors to this project would like to, uh, to kind of go through outline a little bit more. I'm happy to do that. Give us your suggestions, uh, start suggesting things for the Gantt chart and, and we'll see how we can kind of balance this. If we got some stuff again, I don't feel prepared to do it because I still feel in my own head. I've, I've got to still work out some of these storylines more, but I'd be really interested to hear and talk about some of your suggestions. And that might help me, uh, to flesh out the, 
the storylines more. So um, anyway, so I'm I'm definitely open to discussing uh, uh, some of your ideas and suggestions next time. And of course, to uh, and, and I definitely want to talk about the frame and see what we can work out for uh, for, for frame for next time. So that should give us plenty to do in our next session, which will be on Thursday, May 7th at 10 p.m. Eastern Time, as usual. Um, thanks, everybody. Thanks again for uh, uh, bearing with us. Uh, uh, my apologies to everyone who's listening to this asynchronously, that this is a, a bizarrely short episode. Uh, that's because I had technical difficulties for like an hour <laughs> at the beginning of this session. Uh, and all of the people who have been contributing right along here in the live discussion uh, were like there for the whole time, you know, uh, waiting for us. So really fantastic. Um, anyway, thanks everybody. Thanks for joining us. Uh, and I will say as always, thanks for listening and Godspeed.